0: Hello, Next Picture Show listeners. Here's a friendly reminder that if you enjoy the Next Picture Show, you'll really enjoy getting more Next Picture Show by subscribing to our Patreon. You can get our weekly newsletter for $3 a month and unlock bonus episodes for $5 a month. Our latest bonus episode features an interview with Tasha about her Sundance experience, and there's more coming soon, including our picks for the best of the decade and episodes dedicated to the TV series Picard, Better Call Saul, and Dispatches from Elsewhere. To subscribe to our Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. show
1: difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living
2: being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us!
0: Welcome to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and how it shaped our thoughts on a recent release i'm keith phipps here with scott tobias
2: genevieve kosky
0: tasha robinson is currently cruising the back streets in a hot 66 thunderbird but we have a special guest this week angelica jade Bastien. hello for our next two episodes we'll be talking about two films in which women exact violent vengeance on men who've wronged them in particular and the patriarchal system that allows those wrongs in general and uh
2: ladies and gentlemen this is a robbery now if no one loses their head nobody will lose their head simon says lie down on the floor please right away
1: Uh, genevieve what are you doing?
2: I'm robbing this podcast. Uh, why? It just seemed like the thing to do.
1: Uh, again, why? Uh,
2: I guess I'm just impressionable.
0: yeah I mean, I get it. In their own ways, both films in our pairing make life outside the law look pretty appealing, and maybe kind of necessary, especially for women. Still not sure what robbing this podcast gets you, though, Genevieve. <sighs> I'll
2: back down then for now.
0: Want to make it up to us by telling us about our movies?
2: I can do that. Released in 1991 with a picture of its protagonist smiling as they pose for a Polaroid selfie, Thelma and Louise cast Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis as, respectively, Louise and Thelma, a pair of Arkansas friends who hit the road for Mexico after Louise kills Thelma's would-be rapist in a parking lot. The longer their trip lasts, the deeper they sink into a crime spree, all while growing increasingly comfortable with life as an outlaw. Thelma and Louise's impact includes contributing to a change in female roles in action films. It was released the same summer as Terminator 2. Its use of lawlessness as a way into a larger exploration of sexual inequality, however, has been less imitated. The DC Comics film Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn takes some cues from it, however. Focusing on antihero Harley Quinn, a former psychiatrist turned villainess still getting over her split with the Joker depicted in the 2018 film Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey finds Harley tangling with the villainous Black Mask. As she works to take him down, she forges tentative bonds with a group of women as invested in his downfall, if not always for the same reasons.
0: This episode will revisit Thubman Louise, exploring what made it so shocking 29 years ago, considering how it looks today. Then, in the follow up episode, we'll move from the American Southwest to Gotham City to search for the connections between Thubman Louise's journey and that of one, Harley Quinn. We'll be right back after the break.
3: Mind? I'm uh, investigator Howell Slocum, Arkansas State Police. You get your butt back here, Thelma, now. As you know, we've tapped your phone. What? Maybe hey, you got a few too many parking tickets. Uh. Thelma, what happened?
0: You're getting in deeper every moment you're gone. You want to step back and get in your car again, please? Now, I
3: swear, three days ago, neither one of us would have ever pulled a stunt like this, but if you was able to meet my husband, you'd understand why. What? So, Louise, shoot the radio. Uh, the police radio, Louise. The police on- radio, Louise.
0: Thelma and Louise has become such a canonical film, a widely recognized landmark that doubles as a cultural shorthand for the actions of women who feel they have no recourse for their abuse and frustration but taking extreme measures, that it's easy to forget how insane the film made people in 1991. To be fair, they didn't necessarily know what was coming. Here's how the film was described by a summer movie preview published in the Los Angeles Times. A surreal comedy in which Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis sneak off in Louise's 66 T-Bird for a fishing trip that turns out to be a cross-country escape and rich experience. Technically, there's nothing off in that description, though any surreality comes late in the film, and Thelma and Louise's increasingly dark humor never makes it feel like a comedy exactly, but it also doesn't make Thelma and Louise sound like a film destined to launch a thousand conversations, or one still likely to be talked about decades later. It was talked about immediately upon release, however, first in reviews, then in heated post-film discussions, then on editorial pages. Its power to shock came in part from a bit of a bait-and-switch on the part of the Callie Curry-scripted, Ridley Scott-directed film. The film begins as what critic Carrie Rickey described as an odd couple turned easy rider road movie. It pairs Susan Saranda's no-nonsense Louise with Gina Davis's Thelma, a latter-day screwball movie heroine caged by a dispiriting marriage but let loose by Louise's idea of taking a weekend trip out of town. Things take a turn, however, when Thelma and Louise stop at a honky-tonk and Thelma's aggressive dance partner tries to rape her in the parking lot. Louise shoots and kills him, then hits the road, sure that the authorities won't believe their story or show much sympathy if they do. She's informed by past experience and decides to head to safety in Mexico. An episodic journey follows, one that finds Louise and Thelma the subject of a manhunt as they turn to crime to fund their journey. Their conviction they have no other recourse deepens as they make their way south while attempting to avoid Texas, the site of a painful incident from Louise's past. But as they grow more desperate, they also grow closer and more confident and less afraid to do what it takes to turn the odds that have been against them their whole lives in their favor. Some critics got it while anticipating the firestorm to follow. Here's Ricky again. While I imagine many men will be made uncomfortable by Thelma and Louise as male characters, all but two are drooling lechers or chauvinist pigs, I imagine just as many women will enjoy a cathartic laugh at the male behavior that turns ditzy Thelma and law-abiding Louise into outlaws like Bonnie and Clyde, or do I say Bonnie and Bonnie, unquote. And did it make men uncomfortable? It certainly made some men very uncomfortable. In U.S. News & World Report, John Leo called it a peon to transformative violence with an explicit fascist theme. In the Dayton Daily News, critic Terry Lawson said there's more male bashing in this movie's two plus hours than in a month of Oprah and Sally Jesse Raphael. It wasn't just men, either. In the Los Angeles Times, Sheila Benson begged readers, don't call it feminism, continuing, as I understand it, feminism has to do with responsibility, equality, sensitivity, understanding, not revenge, retribution, or sadistic behavior. The film was released in late May. By the end of June, it inspired a Time cover story, thoughtfully written by critic Richard Schickel, that concluded, no other film cheers one's argumentative spirit, stirs one's critical imagination, and awakens one's protective affection quite the way Thelma and Louise does. Put another way, there's something about this movie, something that works. Maybe it's Curry's script, which organically weaves an array of threats, humiliations, and disappointments into the women's cross-country journey. Maybe it's Scott's direction, which surrounds the heroines with overbearing symbols of masculinity that makes their choice to adopt some of those symbols as their own feel like a survival tactic. Maybe it's the story, whose final moments reveal Thelma and Louise's fate to have been sealed almost from the moment they set out together. Or maybe it's the performances, a study in contrast that works. Or maybe it's the rare combination created by all of the above, which creates a bit of movie alchemy that transforms a small story—one that looks from a distance like a familiar buddy movie—into something that gets at some larger, uncomfortable truths.
3: I like kids' please. You do? Well, you're lucky. You be sweet to him, especially your wife. My husband wasn't sweet to me. Look how I turned out. Now go on. Get in there. Oh wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Excuse
2: me. Oh wait a minute, officer. Could I have your belt, please? Extra ammo. Oh, Good idea. And and could I trade
1: glasses with you, Mamie? Thanks. OK. okay.
2: That it? Uh-huh. OK. <coughs> right. you... Officer, I'm real sorry about
1: this. I apologize, also.
0: All right. Uh we're not going to break with tradition too much. We're going to talk about our history with the film. Angelica, when did you first see this film and what are your thoughts on it now?
3: Well, I think I first saw this film as a kid. I don't know how old I was exactly, but it's one of those movies that I've just always felt like has been in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny rewatching the movie though because I was like I rewatched it again specifically just to write about Brad Pitt's performance when I was doing a ranking of all his performances for Vulture a task that was quite a feat cuz his early movies are something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of clunkers in there and there's a lot of bad acting in early Brad work. But rewatching it all today and really looking at the friendship between Thelma and Louise like really moved me and I was really taken aback by how moved I was on this rewatch. And especially with the Uh, attempted rape scene was very hard to watch because there's lots of shots of like their lower half during Mm. it and it was just like very jarring for me but it's a very beautiful film and I was just really struck by the beauty in the performances when it comes to shading in the differences and also the ways that connect Thelma and Louise, because they're two very, very different women. And like at the beginning of the film, I like always f- find Gina Davis a little annoying because mm-hmm. she's so naive of a character, and you kind of want to shake her and be like, girl damn, leave your husband, like, let's just get out, like, come on, like, stop this. But then you see her arc, and it's just so beautiful seeing both of them actually become more confident women, but they're also doomed, so there's also a really big sense of heartbreak whenever I watch this film, because there's something to be said about the fact that unruly women, which them and Louise definitely are, usually aren't allowed to survive in this world. Yeah, totally. I
2: also really connected to the performances on this rewatch. It was uh, probably my third or fourth time watching this film. Although I Definitely did not see it when it first came out. I was, uh, as is often the case uh, when we talk about uh, 80s and 90s films on this podcast, I was a little too young to see it. I, I think actually my first awareness of Thelma and Louise came from the season five Simpsons episode, mm-hmm. March on the Lamb, which is a, a very <laughs> oh, oh. explicit homage. And obviously the, the ending is all over pop culture. I think mm-hmm. it, um, I probably saw the ending uh, spoofed on Wayne's World before I actually saw the movie. Or is it Wayne's World 2? Where they do that, I don't know. Seems like a wind but, Two
0: uh, gag.
3: Yeah, it does. Y- yeah, yeah, it
2: does. But at any rate, like obviously, everyone knows the ending of this movie. But what struck me on this rewatch that I always kind of forget is like the sense of escalation the story has. Because mm-hmm. like you, you generally like you remember the rape, the attempted rape, and you remember the ending. And it's not that everything that happens in between is not memorable. I mean, obviously. Brad Pitt is in there. So that's that's pretty (laughs) memorable. But it was interesting to hear you describe it as episodic in the keynote, Keith, because it is episodic, but it just feels like it rolls along so naturally. And like I said, escalates from one incident to the other in a way that makes their predicament seem right and inevitable. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel at all forced, you know. So I think on this rewatch, I really responded to the writing or the way the story is constructed and the direction which is like god this is a dusty movie there, like, mm-hmm. there's so much particulate and i think ridley scott just was really into particulate at this point in his uh, always, career because yeah into, into it, yes. and like i said the performances really stuck out to me this time so i mean i love this movie like i said I've, I've seen it a bunch of times it was definitely interesting to watch it while thinking about how it connects to birds of prey we'll get into that in the next episode but uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those movies that's sort of my affection for it just grows deeper and stronger every time I see it.
1: Yeah, so I saw this film in '91. <laughs> I had no problem seeing it because I was in—I <laughs> was—I uh, was, was 20 years old, um, and uh, and uh, I could get into R-rated movies. And then you I could saw, vote, it, you it. could join the army. You could it do several it. times over the years, I saw it. I did a, a really Scott ranked list for vulture that i don't know if it ran i don't hmm. know why. they're just hanging on to it it's got like 25 yeah, they got films a, on it
0: they got a big list i wrote like a year ago yeah <laughs> so yeah i yeah. should probably remind him that that like,
3: one of mine was held on to for months so like <laughs> they're weird about like when they released lists so don't okay. feel bad no yeah but
1: if it when it's released it's like 25 films it was a, it was quite a process and then of course i saw it for this podcast in my in my opinion of it is mostly held steady as as a, being a film i like but have some reservations about and i think it had for me it was a disconnect between the script and the direction uh Mm -hmm. and it was weirdly enough it was it was kind of keith's keynote that kind of made the argument for scott's direction that Mm -hmm. i wasn't even thinking of that he is surrounding them with these symbols of masculinity i mean it's it's a very masculine film Mm -hmm. in terms of the direction and, and that feels at odds with the script and i think that scott also has a very commercial style that at times um you know kind of makes a blockbuster out of this film and, and mm. kind of cheapens it a little bit i mean we have an ex- we have a, an exploding tanker in this film you know this is oh this- but
2: i love that like I, I love that's what i love about it is that we get that with these two women characters who prior to this didn't get to you know walk away from an explosion looking cool
0: <laughs> yeah i like the tension i, I and I, I appreciate that more this time than ever i think is that it is a very much a ridley scott film there's one scene where they're driving into a gas station or just a bodybuilder outside for no particular reason <laughs> yeah it's almost more like a, more like a tony scott uh, <laughs> touch but but i uh, no, i think that really helps and I, I think you know if you didn't have those performances it might feel more at odds than it than it does
1: yeah it's just i maybe i just it, a lot of it, it that it ends up feeling a little uh, broad and blockbustery when it needn't but mostly i admire it's odd aud- i mean it's audacity is un- undeniable um and i'm sure we'll get we'll get into this but just just the rape scene alone i mean the fact that the gun is fired not to break up the rape but mm-hmm. at, at, to, to mm-hmm. in response to something that he says i mean that's a huge provocative thing to do you know quite apart from the ending uh, which i think is kind of spoiled by him cutting to like Things that happened in the past, I think think that softens the blow a little bit. Yeah, they just end with the car going off the cliff, whatever. Do a dissolve or freeze frame or whatever you needed to do. I think that would have been a much stronger ending. Yeah, I mean, I I normally don't like to tell (laughs) filmmakers what to do, but I think that image is so powerful, and you just it felt like a kind of a another sort of commercial sop, which is kind of my issue with the movie. But it's a small, it's a small issue uh, because the performances are pretty incredible and there's just a lot of scenes and moments to unpack here this is a pretty for a, a, a you know a big studio film this, this was there was a lot to go over and obviously it hit hard uh hit the culture pretty hard and, and alarmed people which is uh always in retrospect, probably a good thing. The other big,
0: researching this, the other big scandal of, of the summer of 91, I think it was the summer of 91, was that Demi Moore's Vanity Fair cover. Uh, which was, <laughs> I, um, Scott, I am old, and I saw this as a senior in high school. Yeah, I mean, in terms of her shooting the attacker... I mean, how, I was thinking how many like 80s films would you see like Schwarzenegger or Stallone or, or Chuck Norris or whoever exact revenge like that, like with with a quip or or, or a, not necessarily an unarmed person, but in a way that, that wasn't necessarily necessary too. you know, it feels like another action film gesture that plays very differently when you see a woman doing it under these circumstances.
2: Keith, you uh, you showed us this quote in the script, but uh, Query talked about being appalled during a, a viewing of Beverly Hills Cop 2 particularly a moment when uh, guys being chased around by Brigitte Nelson and he finally shoots her in the head and says women and the audience went crazy and like she talks about her distaste for that and I think that kind of speaks to the double standard that men can shoot whoever women or or men in action movies and their motivation isn't really examined the way that Louise's motivation is examined here simply by virtue of her being a woman.
0: Yeah, I wonder if part of the shock this movie created was that male viewers just weren't necessarily conditioned to empathize with the female characters in, in, in those in those kind of situations either. In these kind of unfamiliar, at least on film, situations, Gina Davis said something like, "If you're feeling threatened, you're identifying with the wrong character." I think that's a very telling quote about mm. about the reactions to this film.
1: One little um, side note: Beverly Hills Cop Two is directed by Tony Scott, right? Yeah, who is his brother. That was like, interesting. Uh, it's a, it was a subtweet in 1991. That's what they used to call it. <laughs> (laughs) But yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and I think the film has a larger mission or assessment of men that make men uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's not—it's not just this scene. It's a—it's a much more comprehensive view of the sorts of, of threats and slights and and other things that these women and other women have to face all the time
0: even the opening scene with louise in the, in the in the diner and it's all kinds of like sort of like hey honey and and sort of condescension from the male customers too kind of it is it is sort of a uncomfortable situation at every level that she just kind of gotten used to yeah
2: and it gets at misogyny beyond the individual level you know like going beyond the specific male characters in this movie there's the whole thing with Louise insisting that no one is going to believe them or or no one Mm -hmm. is going to care like there's that awareness of the patriarchy you know whatever you want to call it that affects how Thumb and Louise can navigate this situation and that in and of itself is oppressive to them in a very real and dangerous way in, in this circumstance and that is not attributable to any single character in this film that's attributable to a circumstance of the world that this film is uh, exploring.
3: And you know what's I think so powerful about the film is that a lot of these issues are still pressing today depressingly pop culture still feels like it's lagging with depictions of women even though we're it's expanded a lot more in hollywood there's still a frustrating lack of specificity what we get is these like you go girl moments and uh, a needle drop with just a girl by no doubt and we're supposed <laughs> to be happy with that i'm sorry it's not cute i but like Thelma and Louise really kind of looks at this issue from different levels in a very intimate way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, now you do see something sort of a corporate feminism, I guess, is mm-hmm. what you, you would call it now. And, and and Birds of Prey, we'll get to, sort of rejects that too. It has some complexity to it as well. But, but by and large, it's like it's it's. uh you know, there's something quite thin about empowerment narratives as well. And Thelma Louise, I would think, if it came out now, would would get a similar, not maybe not quite so retrograde a reaction, but but a similarly, mm. it would be provocative and it would be something people would talk about. And some people, it, it would be a film that people would think is dangerous and all those other things. So it, it was. Uh, it feels very lively now. It doesn't doesn't seem like that it's dealing with settled issues at all.
2: And I I think Thelma's progression is is key to that because. Like we've said many times, both performances here are great, but just, I think on a character level, Thelma has such a strong arc, and obviously that arc lands uh, at a, you know, a tragic place, but in, in between her uh, almost getting raped, And that final shot, like we kind of see her come alive. It's not like a joyful evolution, but it feels real. You know, like you see the, you know, the blinds coming off of her eyes, and she she's kind of having fun. You know, she's she's drinking a lot, they're they're freaked (laughs) out, but she also just feels like a real person instead of this little housewife doll that she is at the at the beginning. And the fact that she becomes that person after they have so explicitly and violently rejected this patriarchal oppression in the form of this a- attempted rapist like i think that speaks to what female empowerment is, like really kind of is is about it's not about like you say like a needle dropper You know, women can do whatever men can. It's It's like being the person who you are outside of the restrictions that the patriarchy places on your gender.
0: So the big complaint at the time was there were no sympathetic male characters in this film. Is that? True, and if it is true, does it matter? Well, no, the Harvey no. Keitel. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> that was actually going to be one of my, I don't want to quite call it a complaint, but one of the uh, my critiques of this movie is like Harvey Keitel's character is, I feel so clearly like the good male mm-hmm. ally mm-hmm. here, you know?
0: Yeah, almost to the point where he seems kind of flawless. Like when he does say something like slightly sexist, is to get a reaction from Thelma's husband uh to, you know, to kind of get him to loosen up. But there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of edges to that character. I, mean, I think it helps that Kaitel plays him. I think you get more depth. Just, anytime you put Harvey Keitel up on the screen, you're going to get exactly. <laughs> kind of instant instant depth. Um, in, in
1: nudity in this period, but not in this not film. Not in this film.
3: <laughs> no nudity. Yeah.
0: But when we do Bad Lieutenant next week. But, <laughs> 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 but, but I mean, you know, uh, the other characters, other male characters are painted, broadly that's fair but is it does it feel too broad to anyone
1: i mean i, I, I get tired of all these thinly drawn uh, male characters
2: <laughs> <laughs> i was actually uh, joking with my fiance while we were watching this that it's sort of a reverse Bechtel test and that like any time two hmm. male characters are speaking to each other in this film they're talking about the women <laughs> they're talking about thelma and louise like i don't think there's any conversations between two men that are not about them and like that's great like that's Not a complaint at all. I just think it's it's funny. And uh,
1: does it work? If you does it clear the reverse Bechdel test?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I think the very idea of the Bechdel test would reject the idea that two men talking to each other in a movie is is worthy of note. Hmm. But uh, it's a funny, it's a funny uh, uh, thought, though. Yeah,
1: if it it, it just turning everything on its head. I mean, like you know, I mean that's something that the film does as well, just by also taking. A genre and a a setting that is also uh, you know associated with so many films about men and, and making it a territory for women. You know, it's a road movie. It's set it's set in these you know wide open spaces in Oklahoma and and elsewhere, and um, you know, and all done with by Ridley Scott at, at great uh, you know beauty and ex- beautiful expanse. And I mean, and those those are genres that are about freedom and possibility too. I mean, those are genres about, about where you can go anywhere you want and uh and you know rules don't apply until you
2: run into a cliff
1: (laughs) right of course (laughs) yes there is a cliff but i mean but it but um but it is that there is that sense of liberation and and there's a point i think pretty early on where they really do lean into the idea of being outlaws and do find something kind of exciting about it and the film becomes this entertainment where they can for this short time do whatever they want to do. And uh I don't know. It's it, it's it is, it's interesting how some of the some of the stress of their situation does dissipate at times. Yeah. Mm. You know, most of all certainly in the, the Brad Pitt scene as well, mm. which of course then the stress comes back when he takes <laughs> off. Yeah, because he's a piece of, money, of but, crap. But, <laughs>
2: but going back to the thing I was saying about thelma coming alive like it kind of happens there, you know, like the, I, I love the scene of Gina Davis coming into the, the restaurant the morning after her, her night with, with Brad Pitt. And she's just like so loosey goosey and smiley. And like her whole carriage has changed, you, you know? And then obviously the, they find out uh, Louise's life savings are gone. But immediately after that is when Thelma steps up to rob the store, the, the bit that we were doing in, in the intro there, you know? And, I don't know. That feels like maybe it's the turning point, which is maybe kind of weird that the turning point is like Thelma just needed to get laid real good. But, (laughs) but, But I think that's also tied up in the fact that like Brad Pitt's character is so shameless about his criminality, like the way he lays out what he does for her and she's like really interested and you know obviously repeats his line verbatim when it when it comes Mm -hmm. time so i think like she's responding to whatever it is about the way that he's living his life appeals to her at at some level and she kind of mirrors that as as the movie progresses
3: yeah and it's understandable i mean he moves with a sort of freedom that she Mm -hmm. doesn't have so, of course, right. she'd be attracted to that. And I do love Brad Pitt's scenes in this movie. He's just really fun to watch, just walking around without a shirt sometimes. You know, <laughs> it's a very painted. nice
2: torso. <laughs> yeah, it's a
3: very, very nice torso. And the way Gina Davis like looks at him, it, like she communicates desire very well. And so that's mm-hmm. partially why his scenes work so well. And I just kind of waltz on in and I say... Ladies, gentlemen, let's see who wins the prize for keeping their cool. Simon says, everybody down on the floor. Now, nobody loses their head, then nobody loses their head. Uh, you, sir. Yeah, you do the honors. Take that cash, you put it in that bag right there. You got an amazing story to tell your friends. If not, well, you got a tag on your toe. You decide. Simple as that. Then I just slip on out. And, uh... Get the hell out of Dodge, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: My goodness. You were sure, genuinely, about it.
3: Well, now, I've always believed that done properly, armed robbery doesn't have to be a totally unpleasant experience. <laughs> what?
0: You're a real outlaw,
3: aren't you? Well, I may be an outlaw, darling, but uh, you're the one stealing
0: my heart. We talked about this film that has a lot of is directed in, in a very masculine way uh, and like and like an action film for two action stars in in some ways is the way Brad Pitt is shot in this film the equivalent to the way a, an attractive woman will be shot in a film focusing on heterosexual mm. male characters
3: mm.
0: i think it 's a very playful sex scene it 's mm. very like yeah. you know two young people i mean i guess is in her 30s at that point but she seems much younger because she hasn't lived her life at all she's inexperienced yeah Yeah. Yeah. uh uh, just you know having fun and exploring each other in a really fun way you don't often see in sex scenes
2: yeah we see the the before and after more than we really see much of the act itself there's Mm -hmm. that shot where he like goes and is playing with her underwear uh which is i like that shot but for the but for the most <laughs> part their 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 interaction is about the talking you know mm. the uh the the chemistry between them and the to go back to the Brad Pitt of it all the the charisma i think like the way he's shot and framed in in those scenes like obviously his body is centered to a certain extent but i think it's also about capturing the appeal that goes beyond the the pure physicality of him like the when he's like jumping on the bed you know or he's he's just like got this life this exuberance to him that is I think at the core of what Thelma is responding to beyond the
0: the torso you know who auditioned for that role and didn't get it George Clooney Which I cannot picture picture mm, it at all. I'm
2: glad he didn't get it. (laughs) I I think I can picture it. Yeah? Yeah, like, or or like, George Clooney has always, like, read a little older Mm -hmm. or, or, like, more mature, so maybe that would, you know, complicate it a bit. But he definitely is capable of that sort of playful... Charisma that that Brad Pitt's playing with here. Uh, I think. I I mean, they both have it in in Oceans Eleven. I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, mean, nothing against Clooney. I think he's great. But the only time I've ever seen him do a Southern accent is is in like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou. (laughs) 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 Don't see that quite working here.
1: Yeah, that that the time he didn't. I I don't. I think he became a much better actor than than Mm. he was at the the time. There were a lot of ticks that he sort of had to work out. Sure but yeah that's an interesting thought i mean in brad pitt is kind of in mean, this movie is sort of a type that that uh mm. you know of, of the, the, the of sort of the handsome drifter and he plays that so well i mean and, and he's also modeled to play it well with with the hat and the sack full of whatever he's got in the sack the accent you know he's, i mean i'm so he's
0: polite too she such such reminds a me of like
1: um what was that remind me a little bit of all fall down the john frankenheimer movie from 1962 with Warren Beatty and which Warren Beatty is just so devastatingly like handsome and charismatic and yet is just utterly destructive to Mm -hmm. every person that he that uh, every woman who is who falls for him. I haven't seen it. Is it good? I mean, great. It's okay. I mean, it's like in that period where Frankenheimer could do no wrong, and it's like the Mm. only example of him kind of kind of kind of not (laughs) doing a great job. Um, But Warren Beatty is kind of at the peak of his his powers in sixty two, but they they kind of struck me as the same type i guess um and, and you get that same just electrifying star power i mean you, will, you see brad pitt in thelma and thelma louise and you're like yeah this is not some this is something we're gonna see again he's like this, this is not a one-off this is like a star in the making for sure
3: yeah and it's so nice to have moments like that i don't have too many moments like that in film recently with younger stars just like, like younger actors haven't really i don't know what it is lately <laughs> but they're not really exciting me except sometimes on the red carpet. Like Zendaya is great on the re- red carpet. There you go. Yeah, you need, <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, this
0: is definitely a moment of someone announcing himself as as, as a star. And, and yeah. it, those are those are tough to come by. And certainly like, I can't remember the last time someone came in and just stole uh, the little bit of the movie they're in quite like this.
3: Yeah, it's a rare moment in time. And um. also to kind of go back about the portrayal of men in this movie. Yes, There are some men who are painted in a quote-unquote broad brush. But there are men who do act like this when it comes to women. Like, specifically, the way they act with women is, like, mind-blowingly shallow. And they have very limited imagination for the interiority of women. So... They don't respect them, and they come across as buffoons. There are men like this. So. Yeah, the trucker
0: is a total cartoon, but I also believed he was a real character. Yeah, too, you know? exactly. Men like that.
1: I mean, ditto Daryl, who is a, who is also a cartoon as well. I mean, oh, also totally. Tre- treating the treating the workers the way he does. I mean, they're just mm-hmm. having the car with the dumb vanity plate. I mean, they just there's no. They probably could have just like eased off a little bit on that characterization. But,
0: but that was actually the the worker abuse was actually improvised because Christopher McDonald actually tripped and fell and he's kinda of went with it for the oh, did scene, he? okay.
1: <laughs> he's very good at playing that type of character. For sure. oh right? totally. But those men exist, you know, who have d- certain ideas about gender roles and, and they're possessive and, you know, s- self-centered and all of these these things. And uh, so this is believable in that in that respect. And I think I guess we haven't talked about Michael Madsen uh right. as as Jimmy Lennox and uh, because that's another character who acts in a pretty stand up way, no? He's just
0: too late. He's just too late. You know, he's yes. he, he gives her what she needs, but it's he's too late for it, you know.
1: That, that is true but i mean he, but plenty of charisma there i mean that was would that be the, the two, pre- two years, two, two years off
0: two years off from reservoir one o- year one off year from- one year well, premiered in 92 but no one saw it until 93
1: yeah but it was like sundance 92 or
0: yeah, something yeah i think you're right but yeah um, it's a, it's a, he and Keitel is a little pre reunion i guess
1: yeah <laughs> oh god i didn't even think about that yeah mm. but that, but that, that's a pretty interesting character so there's a little there's a little bit of nuance there but but it, it, it doesn't have to be that much i mean it really is about Sarandon and and davis and uh, uh there, there's plenty uh, of go- going on you know, in their friendship and then also uh, in the relationship of their characters to the wider world and, and to men and to that landscape and to the this very difficult situation they find themselves in.
2: To so the complaint about the men being cartoonish or whatever, like, it's not a movie about them. Like, they, the men in this movie only exist to make the story about Thelma and Louise Go. So it makes sense that their characters are shorthanded in, in a way, you know, like we only get small amount of time with them. And in that small amount of time, the script and the performances have to show us sort of the totality of what these women are up against, while not making the story about those men. So I don't really see it as a a problem that these characters are quote, unquote, cartoonish, or, you know, not developed enough, like, as somebody already said, like they're treated like women are treated <laughs> in, in so many movies about men, you know, like they only exist to the extent that they need to exist to inform the women's story. And I think like that is what makes this a, a quote unquote feminist film. You know, that's the equality that's happening here. Not It's not in the plot.
0: So Kitel's detective Slocum is constantly trying to bring them back in and saying it's not too late to turn back. Does he have a point or do they know something he doesn't?
2: I think they know something he doesn't. <laughs> I think Louise is is right from the beginning that they're they're screwed. Yeah, I mean, maybe imme- that's cynical. immediately. There's no like yeah.
1: they, because because she she knows there there's a witness. They know that they're going to be looking for them from the start. I mean, there's not you know because there's there's kind of a scenario you can imagine like just go home, <laughs> just pretend like you had this weekend and go go back but i guess i guess that was i guess there was a recognition from the start that that's impossible Mm.
2: the the witnesses thing is, is a little confusing just from a storytelling perspective because it doesn't seem like there are any witnesses and then all of a sudden there are witnesses like like i just sort of from the crime procedural aspect of this it felt a little unclear to me how harvey Keitel got to the point of you know knowing the the car that was out there but it doesn't yeah. really matter yeah
1: the the waitress kind of covers yeah. for them in a way too i mean she's sort of like well this guy this is going to happen to this guy anyway yeah you I know love
2: i love that waitress yeah, yeah same
1: but i think i think there is uh, to answer the question um yeah uh, i agree with genevieve about them kind of knowing something he doesn't because because what are they going to come back to exactly i mean what what you know and and uh, yeah. you know i i don't think that there's it, probably a sense on their part that they would be treated quite a bit differently in that situation than 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 a man would in that situ- situation yeah. you know particularly if the details about what happened came out and um they actually make sense and then there's also a, an element where they just don't want to <laughs> Yeah. Well they just want to stay out there, right? Yeah. I mean well, they don't want to come back. What are they what are they going back to?
2: Well, and I think Louise is also aware, even if Thelma is not that like if they did go to the police and explain what happened or whatever, like what Thelma would be put through having to relive that trauma over and over again and and try and convince naysayers of what happened to her, like that would be as traumatic as, as what happened to her there. And I think Louise, from the hints we get about what happened to her in Texas, is is very aware of that and is trying to protect Thelma from that. And you can argue whether the alternative is is better or not, but you know, at least she got to live for a little while and she didn't have to become a woman who had to defend herself over and over again about sexual assault. Like that's mm-hmm that can be just as traumatic as the actual act.
1: Well, and then they would have to have, I think they would have to finesse the defense too. I mean, they would have to claim, right. claim that it was an act of self it was self-defense when, when in fact it not. wasn't. Um, and who, who knows um, how Thelma would hold up under that <laughs> circumstance. And they're in
2: Arkansas. Let's not forget that they're in Arkansas. Yeah, <laughs> like, <you know.
1: laughs> yeah so so even self-defense probably wouldn't uh, uh, wouldn't play.
0: So we're going to talk about specifically... The influence, its relation to Birds of Prey. But where else do you see this film's influence? And, and mm. what, what, what do you think it, impact it's had broadly on, on films since it was released?
2: Well, I mean, I already talked about the ending, which is just, you know, obviously one of the most sort of famously spoofed and, and referenced endings out there. But I mean, there were, and I'm going to kind of uh, throw to, <laughs> to you guys, uh, since you were more cognizant of movies uh, at this time than, than I was, but there there were like kind of a spate of films after this that kind of were trading on the same, like Boys on the Side, uh, mm. y- y- you know, like, yeah, maybe? No?
1: Mm. <laughs> but I wonder, but not in not in any, any way that has this kind of edge, right? No, I mean. not,
0: no, not, no, it, you know, I, I love to, to trace like, you know, this is a turning point and things change. From this, but you know, I, I can't really say that that's that happened. I think we did get a you know, a few more sort of fair, more shallow, uh, empowerment films yeah. after that, although I'm, I'm, I'm sort of struggling to, to name names. Um,
2: what was that like? Uh, all women Western bad,
0: bad girls. I didn't want to name that. i would never seen it, so it, maybe it's a brilliant film. I I don't know. But. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, I, and I think it. I mean, it was was a defining moment for the actresses, certainly uh, Sarandon <laughs> sure. and, and Davis. And Sarandon took a lot of that, a lot of the sort of the power that she brought to that role. You know, found its way into in other films and uh and to into real life as well mm. and gina davis of course uh also real life as is, is, is a uh, film festival in arkansas sure.
2: well, yeah I was, I was gonna say the effect this movie had on, on gina davis i think is uh like had more more effect sort of in the industry than than specific films yeah. in that way
1: yeah than, than the actual culture at large callie corey would do would do a, uh did divine divine secrets of the Yada yeah, sisterhood was something was a script that she wrote uh, Mad Money so she's she's kind of trying to continue try she to did continue national in that vein.
0: as well and that was that was quite successful on oh, the television show yeah yeah, yeah yeah but I was like Leanne, I mean she's she's done a lot of notable things but I, I was looking at her filmography and it's you know it's, it's thin I mean it is everything she's done is fairly notable but there's you think there would be more projects and and you just wonder how much trouble she's had getting stuff started
1: yeah mm-hmm. i mean she's a, there's a few good ones i bet I, I i i think i think something to talk about is a good movie yeah i haven't seen it a show yeah. Ma-
0: mad money's not good but
1: no yeah. it is not unfortunately <laughs> i didn't know she was married to t-bone burnett that's mm-hmm. interesting right well there you go that's just, that's just trivia does that's she call him to do t-bone though yeah, he's gotta have like a name like Chris or something. Like, yeah. what's his name?
0: <laughs> 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 I
1: possibly call call somebody T Bone.
0: Well, how about I mean, turning it to to Genevieve and Angelica, I mean, you grew up in a Thumb and Louise world, a world that, you mm-hmm. know, post Thelma and Louise world. Did, did you, you know, looking at older items, do you see a difference? You see this as a, as a watershed, or does it, uh, or is this kind of a you know, a singular, uh, hot point of discussion type of film?
3: i feel like when it comes to uh, i hate to use this word but quote-unquote progress when it comes to representation on television it's never like a straightforward momentum there's like stuff that will come out and sort of influence filmmakers or like permeate culture and be talked about or like a group of films will come out or directors that seem to be pushing forward representation in some way shape or form and then it kind of dies out and then you're kind of like back to a place where you're seeing more stereotypical representation and these directors are struggling to get their work out there and or to figure out their next project, which has been a problem with, you know, directors of color, women directors, you know, getting the opportunity to continue to make film. So I feel like, you know, Thelma and Louise, was important and I definitely felt an impact of like I don't know growing up in the 90s and early 2000s I feel like there was a lot of like corporate feminism at the time and Mm -hmm. some of it some of it wasn't so much corporate feminism some of it was actually doing something interesting I think Buffy definitely Buffy the Vampire Slayer the TV show even for all its failures was really wrestling with ideas of sexuality and gender and power And what that means for a girl and like growing up and like sort of coming of ages that you have as a young woman. And Thelma and Louise, in a way, with Thelma's character, you see a a sort of, it's not exactly a coming of age, but it's coming into her own like sense of womanhood and who she is as an actual person. And so I definitely feel like you do see some of that crop up after Thelma and Louise. It's just not like it was a sustaining force and then continue to grow and grow i think it's the problem yeah you mentioning buffy just uh made me
2: realize that i think this uh may be a i, d- I don't want to say a turning point but maybe sort of a, a point when people took notice of like uh you can tell women's stories within genre films mm-hmm. you know or, or within genre stories and, you know, this is a, you know, a crime picture, a road movie, you know, however you want to categorize it, but it's uh, a story about women within that structure. So, and obviously we're, we're getting that now in the prevailing, uh, <laughs> cultural, uh, story format, uh, of comic book, uh, movies. We're getting that now with Birds of Prey, which we will, we'll get into next week. So to Angelica's point, I don't think it's a, you know, a straight line from Thelma and Louise to Birds of Prey, and you can like point at all all these other little points along it that show the the progress we've made. But it's, you know, it's an important data point in the overall progression of female representation in film. (laughs) But, But it does, Thelma and Louise does feel even today to me pretty singular like it doesn't watching it i don't feel like i'm watching a movie from 1991 setting the you know the clothing and hair aside but like it feels like i could just as easily see this movie today and have maybe not the exact same discussions about it that people were having in 1991 but versions of those discussions like this is this is a movie that feels that still feels pertinent today it doesn't feel like it started a conversation that it's no longer a part of
1: yeah and i, th- I just to to add to that to the point too just about movies in general is that you know studio films have trended toward ingratiating themselves to every part of the audience as well. Uh, 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 you know not uh, franchise films certainly, um, but striking a, a, a note of or many notes of discord as this film, does uh that became less of a thing to do uh, <laughs> um uh, it, it became much more about pleasing as large an audience as, as, as possible especially when the stakes for each film started to rise uh, mm-hmm. um you know this is an original film done at done at a fairly large scale for a major studio they don't quite make them like this a lot they don't they don't yeah. make these films that, uh, that, that often anymore
0: yeah, it made me a little nostalgic for a time when a film like this could just you know be made and kind of come out of nowhere and suddenly everyone was talking about it. And also, I mean, this is a whole other issue, but to, to play for for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, this was this was you know I think it, it was kind of a slow burn at the box office. I didn't look up the numbers, but I mean, it hung it hung in there. Yeah, you know, and and, and people kept kept going back to it. and New people found it, and we you know the way the box office works now, it doesn't. We don't you know we don't really get that chance with films very no, often. We don't. It's a shame. That another like a good place to wind it down, but we'll be talking about this, this movie more next week when we, when we bring in Birds of Prey, and we'll be right back after the break for your feedback. Now it's time for feedback, when our listeners weigh in with their responses to recent episodes and anything else in the world of film. We've got a lot of letters already about our pairing of The Piano and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Genevieve, can you read one?
2: Sure. Beth from Minneapolis weighed in with her thoughts on the piano's most ambiguous moment. Beth writes, The first time I saw the piano with a friend at the Denver International Film Festival, we both swore we saw her physically put her foot in the rope before getting dragged over, that there was even an audible thump in the soundtrack to support it. Since then, we both revisited the movie several times and have never again heard the thump or seen the foot going into the rope. For a while, we decided that it was the first issue of the movie, and, and that it had since been changed. But that just doesn't seem like it could be. So we resigned ourselves to the feeling that we were just so taken up with the mood of the movie that we saw it and attributed it to Ada's character.
0: This is a pretty so, film moment of this movie.
1: We, we isn't talked it? about this on the we talked about this on the pod, did we not?
2: Yeah. Well, that that's why why Beth wrote oh, in. Yeah. That's why it's, well, no, it's a <laughs> did, did
1: I not? Come, did I not come down on the side of she put her foot in there deliberately?
2: Yeah. You and I did. Tasha, Tasha, who is uh, sadly not here to uh, to speak for herself, uh, was the one who uh, who disagreed that Ada made that decision uh, to to go overboard. This is really interesting. And I haven't had enough time to like really dig into this, um, whether there are like different cuts of this movie that doesn't make sense really to me. But I did like look up the scene in question just on YouTube, uh, just to, to see if there was the the foot going into the rope and the thump and it's definitely in the clip that is on YouTube of of that moment uh down to the thump but it also is a very brief inset shot like it's just the foot like there's no connection to Ada's face in any of the shots around it it's it's a very brief flash so i don't want to say like it's something you could blink and you'll miss it but i think it's something you could maybe read as not intentional on ada's part because there's no material around it to uh, reinforce whether she is making that decision versus she just misstepped it's it's an interesting shot in isolation like that
1: yeah i just think i think she does it deliberately i think she puts herself to a decision in that moment of going down with this thing that's so important to her of being uh, this this liter- this at this point literal anchor that is that is mm-hmm. heading down into the water, and then she when she comes up, you know, she has that bit of narration about like what a surprise. Remember that? Like that's yeah. that's one of the lines well, she says. She, well, what a she surprise.
2: makes the decision to come up. You she know, does, like exactly. like, but, like I mean, we, she's surprised that, by her
0: own yeah. will at that moment,
3: right?
2: Angelica,
0: I'm sure Um, you've seen The Piano Lately.
3: No, (laughs) actually I haven't. I I was looking at the script and I was like, oh, I've not seen this one in a while. Yeah, we hadn't either.
0: I don't think any of us had seen it for a while, but no, it's it's, still a remarkable film. Yeah, it's up on the Criterion Channel with a bunch of other champion movies. We also got a letter zeroing in on a different scene in our other film, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Scott, can you share that one? Uh,
1: Yes, uh, from Soul. I guess we're, wow, we're really expanding. You can just get a podcast anywhere you want. (laughs) Uh, 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 Nari writes, I found the discussion about the abortion scene striking as I had quite a different reaction to it than Tasha did. When Tasha said Heloise only reacts to it later when they recreate the abortion, for me, Heloise did react to it in the moment when she told Marianne to look. I thought the scene in particular spoke to Heloise's larger desire to experience the world at all its complexity, in both the beauty, how Heloise seeks out singing and music, and the tougher, grislier parts of life, and marriage would prevent her from experiencing those things even more. Answering to why Marianne is attracted to Heloise, the abortion scene also helped explain it to me. Marianne is drawn to a pristine beauty, but when she turns away from the abortion, it signaled to me she's somewhat afraid of the darker aspects of life and the vulnerability with truly dealing with those emotions. Heloise is able to help Marianne get in touch with those darker, vulnerable emotions in a safe way and later channel them into her art. Marianne's art has changed for the better, not because I believe darkness is the only way to inspire art but that Marianne's embrace of the dark and vulnerable allows her to finally portray the art she wants to capture instead of playing it safe by doing what she had learned from the male painting establishment. I like that.
0: That's a good read. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: I had forgotten that Heloise told Marianne to to look, but that's, that's interesting both in the context that Nari writes about here, but also in the context of the later scene where... Héloïse has Marianne sketch the the moment like Héloïse and Sophie like reenact it so Marianne can can sketch it. So it's almost like Héloïse is preparing Marianne to engage her art with that moment later on after
1: it. Yeah. Do you think the the portrait of the title is possible without that sort of transitional thing? That transitional yeah. event. I wonder. Yeah, yeah I thought it was, I think this is a good letter. Good read.
2: Yeah. Apologies to Tasha for not getting to uh, <laughs> engage with the criticism of her criticism. But, uh, no, on both, on both letters. She's just like, she's probably just going
1: to be really upset when she hears this episode. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, what we'll to wait and find out. We always appreciate when our listeners share their thoughts and their recommendations. If you feel so inclined, you, we can feature your response on a future episode. To reach us, you can leave a short voicemail at 773 234 9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. And that's it for this episode of The Next Picture Show. In our next episode, we'll continue a double feature of films featuring women, explosions, and explosive women with birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Look for that next Tuesday, or better yet, subscribe to The Next Picture Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. Even better still, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow, find us at nextpictureshow.net, Follow us at facebook.com slash next picture show and follow us on Twitter at Next picture pod so we always know when a new episode drops. Until then, drive carefully, but give obnoxious truck drivers what for when appropriate.
2: Let me ride, let me ride, let me good time.
3: So let's ride. Just know they can't catch me, cute sexy, and my ride sporty. Those slugs know they can't catch me. Baby, so let's ride <laughs>